Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's Inside Clemson Football with LeVon Kirkland and Will Vanderport. Coming up, National Signing Day took place on Wednesday, so I asked LeVon to describe what National Signing Day was like when he signed to play for Clemson back in 1987. Also, it's finally here. Clemson versus Notre Dame Part 2 in the ACC Championship game. Me and LeVon will break down the big game as we give our keys to victory on offense and defense for Clemson, while also giving you our picks for players who could have an impact on this game that no one is looking for. We also give you our predictions for the game, as number three Clemson looks to earn a sixth straight ACC championship and a sixth consecutive berth in the college football playoff. But before we do all that, it's championship week in college football, as the ACC, SEC, and Big Ten host their conference championship games this weekend. The NFL season is winding down as well as playoff races are heating up. Who will you put your money on this weekend? If you do plan to put some money down on the college or NFL games, you need to go check out the action at Bet Online. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, LeVon, welcome, man. Uh, i got to ask, buddy, uh, first of all, A, are you staying dry? That's the first thing. Uh, yes, I am staying dry. That'll be true. This is the craziest weather, and I don't mean to like, y'all, we're going to just, you know, people, oh, my gosh, they're talking weather. But, man, this is crazy weather because it's like one day it's like sunny. The next mm-hmm. day it's like, you know, Noah's Ark's going to be coming outside here. So, I mean, because it's like it's been raining here for like six, seven hours straight. And it's just like my whole yard's going to float away. It's like Scotland. You know, one day it's raining. Next moment it's snowing. <laughs> next minute it is lightning. It's, it's a little nuts right now. It's been it's been raining pretty much here all day, too, so. Yeah, it's a, it's yeah. it's a, it's nasty outside, but uh, I need to ask you, man. So today is uh, this is Wednesday, by the way, for the people out there listening as we're recording this. The day's National Signing Day, mm-hmm. so I thought, man, you know what? I'm gonna ask the bond because I don't have any knowledge of what National Signing Day is, except from a reporter's point, report point of view, which for us, I like to call it one of our hell days. <laughs> because it's like it's chaotic especially oh, yeah, back in imagine. especially back in the day day before you know it was a little it's a little different now than it used to be but it used it's it's still i still refer to it as hell day um because uh, you never know what's going to happen on national signing day and things change and it's just a big old mess a lot of work and that's okay so i wanted to get though the guy who actually lived it who actually mm-hmm. went through the recruiting process had to make a decision and what you did on National Signing Day, all that stuff, man. And that's you, buddy. So tell me what it was like when you decided that you were going to uh, play for Clemson. How how did the whole process go and then National Signing Day go? Well, actually, I visit Clemson. You know, it was still split between South Carolina and Clemson. And I, like I told you, when I grew up, I wasn't really a fan of either one. I kind of like both. So it really just took me one visit to Clemson to know that that was the spot for me. Plus they did this little trick where they put a, they put my Jersey and my name on the back of the Jersey. So being from where I'm from, we never had our names on the back of the Jersey. So <laughs> that got me. They, they sold me right there. I, I was sold. I was in, but no, I mean, just being around the atmosphere, being around the program, I knew it was the right place for me. I talked to coach Ford a little bit. Um, when we were flying back to Florence, they're going to drop me off. And then they were going to maybe D.C. to see another guy. Uh, talked to Coach Ford for a little bit. I, I doubt Coach Ford really knew my name at the time. But um, <laughs> that was it. And decided right there, just had a gut feeling that Clemson was the place for me. And so I chose Clemson. But then later on, it was in April at the time when we did the signing, when we did the uh, National Signing Day. My National Signing Day was basically in my, li- in, uh, my school's library. It was my father that was there, myself, my head coach, uh, Coach Vander, uh, Vanderhagen, who was the offensive line coach. He wasn't Miles. Miles Aldridge was the guy who recruited me. 
mm-hmm. but he couldn't come that day for whatever reason. So we got Vanderhagen there mm-hmm. and the reporter from the Florence News. That's all of my signing day. That's all the people that have my signing day. <laughs> but I was thrilled, man. I got to sign. I got to sign my letter of intent to Clemson University, man. It was a big day, man. I had my suit on. My father was dressed up, <laughs> but nobody knew I had a suit on. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was not the fanfare that uh, you know most guys get nowadays that sign their letter of intent. Mm-hmm. So it was really low key, <laughs> if I can say. Very low key. Only, you know, it was only five of us there. <laughs> but it was it was a great moment in my life. It was a dream come true for me to um, sign a letter of intent to go on to play at Clemson University. And things went well from that standpoint, but it really started with some humble beginnings. Yeah. So if you if you had to do it all over again, you go back to 18-year-old Yvonne and you're mm-hmm. you're getting and and now you know what National Signing Day is like. How would you do it now? If you could do it like these guys do it. Man, uh, I might do the hat thing to keep everybody in suspense. I would definitely have more people than what I had at the, at my letter of intent. I would let some more people know. Uh, I think that was, those are the things I would change. I would have my mother there too, mm-hmm. instead of her working that day. So I would have both my parents it, it meant a lot that my father was there, but the only reason my father was there is because he worked at the school, and I think I pretty much demanded that he that he come, and I think my head coach told him that he needed to come. So that's the only reason why he was there. Wow! It's <laughs> so a- if he wasn't working at the school, it would just be uh, it would have been just four of us, I guess. It, it's interesting to hear because it is such a big deal now but back then i mean it really wasn't well i mean it, it i mean really I, I don't remember as a kid like what national signing day was like or anything for any of my friends or anything like that that went on to play college ball and stuff and i don't remember any fanfare around it um and I, i'm assuming i guess when the dot-com craze started maybe that's when all of this started when you started seeing the fan sites you know, out there, you know, like rivals and two four seven and things of that nature started, you know, jumping on this uh, recruiting thing. And I guess maybe that's where it kind of got. Because the only thing I can remember recruiting wise, I'm seeing any kind of recruiting was like, you pick up your Athlon magazine <laughs> before the year started. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. In, 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 yes. in, in, in inside, uh, you go to the back pages and it would say, "Here's the national recruiting rankings," and then it would say top 10 players for each position that signed with these schools, you know? And so you go through and look, it's like, Oh man, look, Clemson's got like three guys that they got one guy at linebacker and they got one guy at center. And, you know, and you just kind of go through and see how many guys for Clemson that they considered were top 10 position players. And that was really it. That's how I remember recruiting growing up. And it sounds like that's pretty much what it was like. It, It was no fanfare at all with it. Right. There was really no fanfare to be honest with you. It was, I, I think, it was, uh, it was such a, <laughs> it was so back in the day. I mean, like news didn't really travel that far, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. I mean, everybody in my region might have known who I was, definitely locally. Uh, and then, you know, like the area that maybe covered me as far as the news was concerned. But it was only one channel that covered, um, covered me at the time. And I was coming from, you know, my school was probably smaller than a lot of schools in that region. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how <laughs> I got noticed. And then back then, you you were kind of like a surprise. You know, you, you got discovered back then. You know, it wasn't people had a, you know, a foul on you for from your freshman year to your senior year. I basically got recruited by another, by recruiters looking at another team and looking at other players and they happen to see me play that's but I think there is something back then I think there was something to it because a lot of times you can get some sleepers back then Mm -hmm. you can get guys that nobody ever heard of and they come on your program and they're like wow guys like LeVon Kirkland huh guys like LeVon Kirkland guys like me but you know you also had guys like Ed McDaniel we had guys like Terry Allen Mm-hmm. Guys that wasn't very high on the radar, but you know that you redshirt them 
And then the next thing you know, wow, you got a player. So that was really what happened then. But I think I, I love it back then too, because I think you had to be a really, you had to have a really good eye for talent. Mm-hmm. You had to have an eye for unappreciated talent, an eye for guys who wasn't quite developed or really good athletes and can move. And I think Clemson did a really good job of getting those type of guys. No, they did. And Danny Ford, I love hearing the stories. Um, you know, you, you hear from all kind of high school coaches or different coaches. Um, uh, you know, uh, man, trying to think of his name. He was on the Clemson staff just recently um, and retired to, after the 2016 National Championship. Oh, man. I'm kicking, kicking myself. I can't remember coach's name for a second here. Um, the D-line coach. D-line coach, yeah. And so he told me a great story about Coach Ford. Um he used to be the head coach when uh, Kevin Mack uh, oh, yeah. was that. And, um, and he was telling me this great story about coach Ford. Like he says, they would come out, Kevin would come out of school and there would be coach Ford because recruiting stuff was all different than it is now. Coaches can't do this now because there's so many rules and stuff, but coach Ford would be there leaning up against the goalposts as they came to practice. He did that several times a week. He would, hmm. he would leave practice up to his assistant coaches here and if he would go to the high school players' practice, in this case, Kevin Max, and would wait on him after he got practice and would just wanted to let him see him as he was walking out of the practice field. He wanted, he wanted Danny Ford to be the first guy he saw. And he's like, he did that all the time. Um, and then, you know, I've heard other stories with Coach Ford, how good he was with, uh, you know, trying to get a player. You know, if it was within driving distance to Clemson, Coach Ford would, would go. Of course, that was in Kings Mountain, I believe. Coach yeah. Ford would go and do that if it was within driving distance. He'd go a couple hours. He'd go visit players as often as he could. And back then, there was no limits. There was no NCAA rules for limitations and coaches talking right. to him. And so, Coach Ford took advantage of it. They said, and uh, he was really good at it. And there's a lot. There's a, lo- a ton of stories with high school coaches involving Coach Ford around the state of South Carolina. Well, I'm gonna tell you what I really liked about Coach Ford is once you got on campus, it was all about you taking advantage of the opportunity. It wasn't, I didn't feel like it was a political thing. And maybe it was in some ways, but I didn't feel that way. Mm -hmm. I felt like he gave you the opportunity if you could really, if you can really play, if you really want to play that at Clemson, man, it didn't matter. It really didn't. And that was the thing that I loved about Coach Ford. And also too, he can motivate you to play, man. He really could. He could really push your buttons to really play. And then we, we had such a hard-nosed style that if you if you wasn't Clemson, if you wasn't Clemson made, you would be found out really easy. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it weeded out the guys who didn't want to play football. It really did. And uh, I like that physical brand of football. And I wasn't really like a big guy, but I did like the brand of football where, you know, it was – it was tough nose football, but it really paid off on Saturdays. To me, Saturdays were so easy when Danny Ford, because you practiced so hard, you were so prepared, you were so ready that the game was really easy. Yeah, um, you know, you're you said that you 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 weren't a big guy, and I you're right. I remember you were a smaller guy linebacker then, but doggone dude, you could hit. That's what I remember about you playing in those days, man. You would come off that edge and. I felt sorry for that quarterback, dude. I still remember the Duke game in 88. Yes. I think you only had one sack in the game, but you hit him um, every time he was basically dropping back to pass, and you just laid the wood on him, man. And I remember that. That guy was hurting, and I remember seeing Spurrier throwing his visor down on the ground uh, <laughs> over there on the sideline for Duke. He was coaching at Duke at the time. Um, yeah, that, that, was, that's what I remember first about you. That's the first memory I have you is that Duke game in 88. <laughs> it, it was funny because my um, my brother came to that game, and that's my other brother was in the military. And my brother was, you know, just out of the world, finished his degree, and came to see me play with two of his other friends, right? So yeah, my brother's like nine years older than me. I remember him coming out to watch me play. And the story he told was he, he, he went back – after that game was over with, he called my brother in the military. He's like, man, your little brother can play, man. He's like, he's better than all of us, man. He's like, this guy can really get after somebody. And it was so funny because I was such a runt in the family, mm-hmm. you know, the little brother, 
that to hear him say that was uh, an honor because honestly, my whole thing was just was just trying to be better than them. <laughs> I just wanted to be better than them, man. Blossom into a, a, a full blown career, but yeah, I remember that dude game, man. I, that's what that's the game I thought that man I could really play on a higher level. Even though I had some good games before then, that was my registered year. But Duke was really they were pretty good, especially offense that year. And we got after that quarterback, and it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, and, and is it kind of is a great segue to what we're talking about because. I talked about your physicality and how you just brought the wood, it seemed like, on every play, right? That's what I get the feeling this Clemson team is going to do this weekend, man, as we kind of start talking about the ACC championship game. Dabo Sweeney, every time he's met with the media this week and he's talked about this game, he keeps bringing up, we got to be more physical. We got to bring the physicality because basically he's saying we get, they got our butts kicked. We got our butts kicked in the – in the in the first meeting physically at the line of scrimmage and you can tell by the way he kind of suddenly brings it up to the media a couple times without asking right mm-hmm. hey, in practice i can only imagine what he's telling those guys on the offense and defensive line to try to get them fired up ready if you will for the physicality they got to bring to play notre dame this saturday um you know so kind of like that's kind of what i think the theme of today is kind of going to be man with us is talking about how um, how physical this this game can be, and can Clemson be more physical than they were the first time they played Notre Dame? Well, just from my experience, and just from you know whether it was a player or whether it's being a coach, I think that any time you get an opportunity to play a team again, especially when you lost to them before, and if they seem like they out physical you. I think that the team that lost that game is going to be the team that's a little bit more focused. They're going to be in tune in what they need to do because you just don't want to lose that game again. And you don't want to lose to that same opponent. So I think that Clemson is going to definitely bring the energy that's needed to beat the Notre Dame or to win the ACC championship. So they're going to come with it. I, I, every team that I know that has an opportunity to come back and to play that same team again after losing, especially being a very close game, that team usually comes back with a little bit more focus. And I feel like the Tigers will. You know, they're a team that's been there before. They've done that before. And also, you got to count in the fact that they do have some key starters back for this game. So these guys are going to be focused, and I expect for them to play very well. Now, you you, you know, you played in the NFL um, – for what, 10, 11 years, right? And so, right. you know, you in the NFL, you have to play multiple teams in your division twice a year. You know, obviously in college football, that doesn't happen. You know, very rarely do you get a matchup like this. It's it, coincidentally, by the way, it is the fifth time it's happened in the ACC championship game where two teams have played during the season. And it's interesting enough, um, the last two times it's happened, it involved Clemson um, against Virginia Tech both times. And in both cases, Clemson won both matchups. So, right. um, so, but with that said, though, going back to what I was kind of my thought was going into is like, you know, what's it like? You know, what's different the second time when you play a team? Um, first of all, as the team who wins, which would be Notre Dame in this situation, and then for the team, you kind of gave us a little bit of perspective of what it's like for the team that lost. So I'm going to flip it around. What's it like for Notre Dame being the team that won and then in, in, in how different is it having to play a team a second time? Well, I, I think you have to be careful if you're the team that won, because especially in this situation where you're talking about young student athletes, because let's be for real, they don't always have it in perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, the coaches can coach and preach to them all week, but most guys are thinking, oh, we'll handle them, we beat them last time, we'll beat them again. That's their mentality. And what they don't understand that, it's like a playoff game and it's going to jump up a notch. It's not like the regular season. The regular season is the regular season, but that playoff situation is a little bit different. So you're going to get, you're going to get what that team didn't bring before. I can give you a perfect example as a player and a coach. We played the Denver Broncos uh, the year the Denver Broncos won the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. We beat them the first time and we beat them handily, right? Mm-hmm. And, but, they weren't really on their best game. They dropped a lot of balls. It wasn't 
they were not quite focused in. The next time we played them for the AFC uh, Championship, they were a lot more focused. And although we played them tight, we only lost by three, they were clued in. They were really clued in. And it would have took another – we had to take it up another notch. And I don't think we really did. As a coach, uh, when I was with the Arizona Cardinals, we played the Green Bay Packers. And during the regular season, we – I mean, we killed them. I mean, it was – I mean, everything was going our way. <clears throat> we beat them down. The next game coming around, we still beat them. But, boy, that game went to overtime, and Aaron Rodgers – through one of the best Hail Mary passes I've seen in a long time. But what I'm trying to say is normally the team that comes, you know, comes from that loss, they're key to play. They're ready to play. And I can see Clemson being that way. And I can see Trevor, and Trevor is there too, which I think makes the offense run a little bit more efficient mm-hmm. than what it did with DJ. Although DJ did a great job playing, he made some great throws. I think Trevor brings in um, that run attack, that RPO that you didn't have with DJ. And make no bones about it, Trevor Lawrence can run the ball. He can use his feet. So now for the defensive side of things, now you have to be a little bit more careful. You know, you have to really play assignment football and you don't have to get on them. I think now that you don't have to just stack the box and stop ETN, you're going to have a little bit more trouble with Trevor, I believe, in my heart. It may not happen that way, but I really believe that Trevor's going to bring, make the deep uh, offense a little bit more dynamic, and I think that's going to cause Notre Dame a little bit more, a uh, little bit more problems when they, when you're thinking about stopping that offense now. Yeah, and that kind of is a great segue into what we all want, kind of want to talk about next, and and I'll jump right into this. You know, you look at this game and you look at the matchups. You know. Uh, we'll start on the offensive side, and 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 I'm gonna give you a key or keys to what I think Clemson can do, and then you can give me yours, and we'll, we'll discuss them. But I think the number one key for me, and I just talked about it a little bit with Dabo when we started talking about this, was the physicality Clemson has to bring. I thought from a offensive line standpoint, they got whipped against Notre Dame in that game. Now they didn't give up any sacks during regulation or anything like that, but they got whipped in the running game, where they got no push at all. They, I mean, they had one yard per carry. It's basically what they averaged. They had, what, 33 carries for 34 yards. So it was like 1.1 yards per carry. It's the worst rushing performance by a Dabo Sweeney team since 2011. And um, I just thought that they, they just weren't ready for Notre Dame's physicality up front. I thought Notre Dame's defensive line owned them, dominated the game. They were in the backfield making plays. Uh, disrupting things as much as they could. You know, I think they had like six or seven tackles for a loss in that game. Every time Travis got the ball, he was somebody was at his ankles, you know, trying to pull him down. So, you know, so the number one key for me in this game, I think, LeVon, is Clemson has to run the football. They don't got to run for 150 or 200 yards or anything like that. I think they got to run for 100. I think if they can get to the century mark, then they're going to be able to do even more of what they did in the passing game the first time they met Notre Dame. And, you know, um, I found it interesting that Brian Kelly said it was actually harder to prepare for DJ Uyangale than it was Trevor Lawrence because they didn't know what to expect from DJ. And so they did some things just to see as a true freshman how he would handle it, things that they normally wouldn't do against a veteran quarterback. Um, and they got burned. And he says, to, to his credit, he burned us for it. And, you know, that, that was our fault. Um, so hearing that was kind of interesting to me because that tells me they're going to throw a whole different kind of defense at Trevor Lawrence that this Clemson hadn't seen yet. And, I, and that's why I think running the football is going to be key in this game because I think Notre Dame has something special on the back end coverage-wise and things that they think they can do to confuse Trevor Lawrence. Well, I, I think in this game, I, I see your point, but I think in this game, I what I look forward to seeing is Trevor being the dynamic five-star athlete, first guy in the NFL draft. He has to perform. Mm-hmm. He has to perform at a five-star level. And I just really believe that for any guy who's ranked that high, they have to take over the game. And I feel like Trevor has to do this. 
Yes, I think they do have to run the ball and maybe have to run the ball as point of attack against Notre Dame. And, you know, instead of maybe being that zone locking team, just let's go man to man. Let's see what happens, you know, and then a dynamic player like ETN, you know, feeding the ball a little bit. But I think you can get to that running game in different ways. It could be set up off the play action pass where you're attacking between the hashes as far as our tight ends concerned. I want to see how good Notre Dame linebackers are against our tight ends who can really stretch the field a little bit. I would like to see that happen. But I want to see Trevor be on his game and be, at this point in time, you really depend on your five-star guys. Mm -hmm. He has to be a five-star guy and really play up to what he's supposed to be. So that's what I'm kind of looking for. And I think that is going to be the key to the game. And you can say what you want to. You can put it on. You can put it on paper. You can say it in theory. Well, we we were really ready for Trevor Lawrence. Really? <laughs> yeah, it, it's different when you're on the field. I think you yeah. can draw up stuff, and it seems like, oh yeah, that'll work. That'll work. That's in theory. The game really comes down to on the field. Have they faced a quarterback as dynamic as Trevor Lawrence? I don't think so. So you can draw it up and say, yeah, we got a plan for him. But just like Mike Tyson, when you get hit in the mouth, your plan goes way out the door. So I'm looking forward to Trevor being the big difference this time around. Travis Eaton, do you think this is a game where, I mean, we've been waiting for it all year, man, right? I mean, he had a good game against Miami. He had a good game against Wake Forest. But really since the Miami game, we haven't seen anything of Travis Etienne for the most part. I mean, okay, so-so numbers. He, you know, he had he's had some big games in the receiving against Boston College and and things of that nature. But we haven't seen the breakout long touchdown run from Travis this year. I don't, I don't remember a single touchdown very long for Travis. That's no more than twenty yards. I mean, right. I don't, I don't know any 50, 60 yard runs from Travis this year. Um, I just got this sneaky feeling, man, just a sneaky feeling that this is the game because he's got to be mad, right? He's got to be chomping at the bit, right? Because he just got, like, owned in that first game. He had 28 yards, you know, running the football. Um, and, yeah, he had 51 – he had eight catches for 51 yards, and that's pretty good. But he got owned in the running game. Man, he had nothing. Now, that wasn't all his fault, obviously. He was, he was getting hit. Guys weren't blocking up front. You got to think, though, he's going to run run mad in this game, don't you? At least I think so. Yeah, you know, I, I always suspect Travis to play well. I think that this could be a motivating game. And like I said, this is what a lot of people don't understand about the player's psyche. If, if you fail or you didn't have a great game, especially against a certain opponent, and you get to play that opponent one more time, your focus is turn up a notch or two. So I can see his focus being turned on with notch or two. I can see him running harder. I can see him running faster. I can see him making plays because no player wants to go back and perform badly. If they perform badly before, they don't want that to happen. They're going to do everything in their power for that not to happen. So like I said before, I can see Clemson focus being more keen in even on the defensive side, not letting big plays happen, not letting E. Buck, um, you know, get those pass lanes, understanding the blitzes. Because you lost to the team and you get an opportunity to play, especially in college because you don't normally get that opportunity, you're going to play hard. And I can see him definitely having a big breakout game. Trevor Lawrence, you, you mentioned him earlier, is your key uh, to the game and the difference maker in this game. Let me ask you this. If he – goes off on Notre Dame. He goes for over 400 yards. He throws five touchdowns. Being that really right now, if you think about it, there is no clear-cut Heisman Trophy favorite. I mean, there's nobody has a Heisman Trophy moment. Would this be the Heisman Trophy moment, considering he didn't play in the first game because of COVID? He had to come back off COVID, miss two games, go back to the beginning of the year where he was the face of college football, if you will, and played a big role in a lot of things, especially with the players' movement saying, hey, we want to play movement, how big he was in that, and kind of was the first big-name guy to actually say something uh, when there was a lot of hoopla on the media, like they shouldn't play college football this year, remember? 
And um, and Trevor's the first one to step up and say, oh, no, 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 no. We want to play. Don't be putting words in our mouth saying mm-hmm. that the players don't want to play. We want to play. Let's figure it out. Let's play. All that stuff, you know, in there. And he goes out there and balls in this game where all the world is watching because it's the biggest game of all the games this weekend. And Clemson, say, wins by, you know, two touchdowns or more. And he he's the reason. Is he now the favorite to win the Heisman Trophy? Can this be his Heisman moment and really change the whole voting in one game? Well, if he has a game that you're talking about, certainly yes, because he was a front runner. And before the COVID incident happened, he was on the path of winning the Heisman Trophy. I think nobody has any doubt about that. He was playing superbly. But um, I think that if he has a big game like that, especially now, and it'd be fresh in everybody's mind that, yeah, I think you can go back and be that front runner again, because, you know, the Heisman loves the quarterback. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they love the quarterback. And, you know, if there's an opportunity for the quarterback to win, then he's going to be able to win. So, yeah, if he goes out there and he, and he bombs it away and he has good stats and he looks great, I can see him being back in first place again. I really can now, what we hope with that is that the Heisman voters didn't vote already. You know, hopefully they waited till after the conference championship games. But we know in the past that hasn't always been the case. They got somebody in their mind. They're like, okay, they pencil them in, and it doesn't really matter what happens after that. So hopefully everybody's waited because I don't think their votes do till the Monday after the conference championship game. So I hope the voters out there, if anybody's listening, please don't vote till the conference championship games yeah, over. Please. Well, it, it, like I said, I mean, you know, people we don't really have great memories sometimes and sometimes it's what happened recently mm-hmm. and I think because the game is going to be happening you're saying that the votes will be coming in Monday that it will be fresh on everybody's mind mm-hmm. you know and especially if the media goes really wild about it if he has a great game and they just pump that up then he has an opportunity not saying he's going to win it but he definitely have an opportunity to do it yeah and that's all that's all you ask for that's all you can ask for and I, and I know Trevor you you know him. I know him. I don't. He doesn't care. He he really doesn't. He he he's a very humble young man, and and I say that sincerely. He he doesn't care, and I'm sure would he love to win it? Absolutely. What player wouldn't, right? But right. But, but he doesn't really care that you know he's in there or not. But I think you know if you're a Heisman voter, you're a college football writer, you're a college football fan, you have to recognize the guy's the best player in college football. You have to. I mean, because especially in a year when nobody else has stood out. And when you look at his body of work, you know, is he really being punished because he was sick? Because his body of work, he's had a good year. I mean, his numbers are fantastic. And, uh, you know, he's done what he's supposed to do. He just didn't get the opportunity to play in the biggest game of the year because he got COVID. And I think a lot of people held that against him for some strange reason. I just don't know why that is, but that's been the case. But um, I think the door opened up last week with Kyle Trask losing and LSU, uh, going in there and stunning everybody. I don't know. First of all, have you ever – I don't kind of get off track a little bit. Have you ever seen anybody throw a shoe? You know, actually, I got my my shoe thrown when we played Jacksonville. This is a game we lost. And so it was it was so hot, man. The guy threw my shoe, and I just – I cussed them out so badly in my mind that I had to run and go get the shoe and put it back on. And that was really what I hated about that whole situation. No penalty? No penalty at all, no, no, no penalty at all. And I thought when this guy got his shoe thrown, I thought like, man, how ironic that is. And just how it was kind of funny, but I'm sure for Florida State, it wasn't funny at all. No. It, it was. Not Florida State, I'm sorry, for the University of Florida. Yeah. It wasn't funny at all. But, yeah, that was that was pretty boneheaded of him to do. Yeah, I mean, what 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 was he thinking? I mean, wasn't thinking. He cost his team a national championship. I mean, it's got to be the biggest bonehead thing ever. Um, wasn't thinking. Yeah, I mean, you know, guys don't. It's it's different. Like you know, you know, uh, uh, when uh, what's his name in the in the national championship game and you know threw the I mean called a timeout. Um, you know, in the '92 national championship game or '93 national championship game. Uh, uh, Chris Webber. Chris Webber. Yeah. When he called the timeout, yeah, that was a boneheaded play. 
but he was in the moment of the game and he was trying to just get a timeout to set a play up to win it. So I'm like, okay, I understand that one. Picking up a guy's shoe and chucking it 20 yards down the field, <laughs> which the referee did a great job describing, by the way. He's like, unsportsmanlike conduct penalty on number whatever for throwing a shoe 20 yards down the field. It was awesome. I'm like, he really just described the unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. Well, probably because he had to. <laughs> but every penalty has to have a brief uh, description of the penalty. So I yeah. guess that was uh, a first. And so he had to kind of spell it out a little bit. Yeah, even that one that so will be a meme forever, right? Even though it's so obvious, yeah. But you know what? It, I think sometimes if you can sell this, you would be a billionaire. If he can sell focus to um, young athletes, because a lot of times that's what it takes to be focused in the game. I guarantee you, during the timeout, Chris Weber was not listening to the coach saying, we have – no more timeouts. <laughs> and he probably was just like, his mind was probably scattered. Yeah. And this young man, he wasn't thinking. And you're, you're totally right. He wasn't. He wasn't focused on, you know, what was going on. So he just, you know, took a shoe. But he's probably done it so many times, you know. Yeah. And I think if you can sell focus, you got something. If you can sell focus, you could be a millionaire. You really can. Because I think with all the advancements and uh, technology as far as, you know, being physically fit, you know, sleep, um, recovering the body. The one thing that I don't know if anybody's ever perfected is how to keep people focused in the moment. Mm -hmm. If you can get that and you can sell that to some kind of pill form, man, Give it you'll to be me. making so much money, it'll be ridiculous. Yeah. Give it to me so I can be focused. That'll be great right. too. You know, focus has been, man, my teachers would be like, man, Vanderbilt would have been great if he could have stayed focused. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no telling what he could have done. Um, you know, but that was great. And, uh, but I don't want to get too far off topic. Um, now we kind of flip it over to the other side of the ball. And, you know, to me, on the defensive side, you know, as Dabo mentioned, they just kind of got it handed to him up front on the defensive line um, from the very beginning, right? I mean, first play, yeah. boom, 65 yards. There he goes, you know, um, outside the numbers and gone. Um, you know, so I guess, um, you know, that's that was a hit the C gap and boom. Um, so from the beginning, right, they, were, they weren't very focused um, as a defense. <laughs> there we go, focus. And their physicality wasn't where it needed to be from a run fit standpoint and things of that nature. And so for me in this game, my key is for Clemson, they're going to have Tyler Davis back. That's huge. They're going to have James Kowski back. That's huge. Um, but they still got to fit those gaps. They still got to make sure those running lanes aren't open, not just for Book, but for the running back also. Um, because I thought Notre Dame did a great job controlling the line of scrimmage, making sure they were in third and short almost every time. And that's why they were so good on third down. Mm -hmm. And Brent Venable's defense is predicated on third and eight or longer. And this third and eight longer, you're not going to do much on Clemson's defense. But if you get in that third and medium, third and short, now all of a sudden you change up the whole scheme and how what Brent's going to bring. And if he's going to bring pressure, don't bring pressure. And I thought that played a big role the other night. And so to me, the number one key for Clemson is they got to get the run fits. They got to shut down the running lanes and make Notre Dame have to throw the football to win the game. Oh, yeah. I think you're, you're definitely right on this. And I look at what Notre Dame is now to what they were when we played them in the, in the semifinals. And we were so much of a veteran defensive line. Mm -hmm. And we just kind of pushed them around, to be honest with you. Ian Book really had no time to really just run back there. We don't really have the, we don't have the veteran presence, but we do have some really good athletes. And we have some guys who can really go. I think that we have to, uh, put pressure on them to make them kind of not be as, you know, methodical throughout the game. We have to take it to them physically, but I think we have to be able to use our athletic ability, our quickness against their strength and against them pushing. Sometimes not, that's not always easy because the offense can dictate what they're going to do. But I think hey, that first down or so, mix it in there a little bit. Mix those blisters in there. Get them behind the sticks. Put them in third and 15 
are second and long and really make them earn that because I, and then I think we can get them behind the sticks where you can make it third and long. Now we don't really have to blitz as much on third down. Now we can be in zone. Now we can make uh, Ian Booker, if he pull it now, we're facing them and now we can um, run up to them as far as the zone concept. But when you're in man a lot of times, those guys are running with guys and it's third and five and you blitz and it doesn't get there. Now a running, a savvy quarterback like Ian Book can make those first downs or at least get it close where it's fourth and one and they feel like they're a big, strong team and they're going to just run it down your throat. So I think you got to get Ian Book in those situations where it's third and 10 or eight or so, just like you said, and make them and make Ian really earn those throws. And, but not really put the defense in arm's way, whereas man-to-man, now the guy, he's just throwing the ball up for the 50-50 or he's just going to scramble out of situation. So I think we have to be disciplined in, in, in our gaps, make sure we man our gaps. But I think in this situation, Notre Dame, you don't really have to blitz them as much on third and long. You really don't. I, I feel like you can keep, keep him in the pocket, make him, you know, make him throw through those windows, see if he can do it. If he if he can do that, so be it. But I feel that I don't know if it's just being a physical team is going to get it done because being physical means that's your blueprint for the whole year. So for us, we just have to get after them on first down, keep them behind on first down, and I think we'd be in. I think we'd be in business. So you know, you're me and you. You're obviously a defensive guy. You played linebacker in the NFL and all that stuff. And I'm a defensive guy just because. I think I had a Napoleon complex when I was younger and I just loved to hit people. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm just going to be, I'm going to call it like it is. Um, so, you know, I love defense. I love hitting. So I love to pay attention to the defense way more than the offense. It's kind of my knack. It's my thing. It's what I love to do. Um, to me, if I'm playing, if I'm Brent Venables, okay, who, by the way, knows more foot, will forget more football than I'll ever know. And I know that. Um, but, I think when I look at this kind of the way I would defend it, first of all, I would definitely go with four down linemen and I would just pressure with my front four only. And I would say, Hey guys, it's on you. You're going to win us or lose this football game for us. It's on you four. you got to get pressure. You got to get a push up the field. You know, that's what it's going to be to me. That's what I would say. And then behind that, I'm with you hundred percent. I'm going to play zone. I'm going to sit there and either play with the two linebackers and um, let's see, the five DBs, or maybe I'm going to go with one linebacker and six DBs. Um, but I'm going to make Ian Book sit in that pocket and beat me. Four guys up front, you stop the run. All the guys in the back, you get in pass coverage, and let's, uh, let's confuse the heck out of him. That's how I would play this game. How would you do it? Hey, I'm, I'm with you in a lot of ways on that, too. I, I think that – you have to use um, a four-man front uh, to make sure, if only one thing, to make sure that gaps are covered, mm-hmm. that gaps are defended so it can make it easier for the linebackers to identify what's going on in the run game and defend the run game. Um, what happens a lot of times on the defensive line, guys start getting out of position, and then now a hole is bigger than it was should be, or somebody's really getting pushed or the containment is not there. It's usually something. So if the four defense alignment are trusted enough to play their position and to, to defend their gap or to make sure that they got contained and the linebackers can be able to flow, I don't know if this, these receivers are just that great that they can just beat our guys. I think we got a really good secondary, and I think our secondary can cover. But – if you put them in, if you're blitzing the whole time, um, you, you, you're going to have trouble covering up for guys who don't get back there. And Notre Dame did a great job of picking up the blitz, blitz scheme. They did. So now our cornerbacks, our safeties, now they got to cover guys for a long period of time. And so it makes it difficult. But if you can defend with your front four uh, and they can, they can maintain the um, line of scrimmage and they can get some pressure – or penetrate the line of scrimmage, it makes defense defense easier. Now the linebackers can flow, they can scrape, uh, they can make the tackles. Now the now DBs don't have to worry about covering a guy for five seconds or more. 
So I think what you said is is definitely it. You 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 can play with your front four or four at first. You can I think you can cover them. They're not a juggernaut. I don't think on offense at all. They're just very physical and they're very steady. And so when you make a mistake, they capitalize on it. You got to give them that much. They do capitalize on it. But yeah, I, I think it's kind of funny. I think you may play a little bit more conservative. Mm-hmm. And you let guys, you know, you let guys play. You know, you, like I know he likes to force the issue, which is great. And a lot of times, and it works. And I think it especially works for teams in the ACC because let's face it, they usually don't have a talent up front that right. can maintain. But Notre Dame does. So you got to say, what if? You know, you got to think in a way that's different than what they would think your brain. You can't always, you got to be able to adjust a little bit. You can't always do what you always do. And I feel that may be the case in this game, that maybe you don't blitz as much. Not saying you don't blitz, you pick and choose when to blitz. Mm -hmm. But maybe you play them, maybe you play them straight up and see what happens. Yeah, very similar to um, the way they played Ohio State last year in the Fiesta Bowl where they played a lot of zone and also the way they played um, two years ago against Tua Tugavaloa in the national championship game, played a lot of zone in that game, just kind of see if they could get pressure with the front four and um, lived and died that way. And I think, um, I think that's a good plan. I, I really do. And uh, it'd be interesting to see what Brent does. And, and that kind of brings me to our X factors, if you will. And so there's, there's one on offense I'm going to bring up and there's one on defense. And and first one, I'll start off with my X factor on offense and he's not, you know, you say, okay, well, the next factor is a guy maybe you're not looking at and things of that nature. And, but this guy's huge in what Clemson needs to do, right? And this, this is, this guy needs to have a big game. He had a big game against Notre Dame the first time, except he also had a crucial fumble that led to three points that, first of all, stopped a Clemson drive. Um, that would have been a first down and kept the drive going. Instead, it, he fumbled it. They, they got the fumble recovery, and they ended up kicking a field goal out of it um, and, and, and took a bigger lead. So, And that guy is Amari Rogers to me. Amari has the ability to be a game changer. In other words, what I mean by that, he can make a play that will change the game in an instant. He's that quick. You go back to the national champion – excuse me, the uh, Fiesta Bowl last year, and he made, I think, what was the play of the game in that, in that last drive where – he catches the ball and goes like he make breaks one tackle. It was the only catch of the game, and he goes 34 yards up the sideline. That was a huge play that set up the winning touchdown on the next play. Um, and uh, but it really allowed Clemson to do what it wanted to on offense because it put him in plus territory. It was a huge play, and he's and he's shown that this year he can make game changing plays that steal the momentum of a game and really kind of put it back on Clemson's side. And I think Amari Rodgers has got to have a big game in this game. People are going to say, well, Cornell Powell, though, he's been catching those long passes down the field, and that's good. And that's true. However, Amari, he has that wiggle to him, right? Like where the guy thinks he has him, and the next thing you know, Amari's gone, and all of a sudden he's up the sideline 40 yards up the field with, you know, and I think, um, you know, I think in the game against uh, the first time they played, he had 99 yak yards, <clears throat> 99 of 134 of his yards were after the catch. That's huge when you're playing a team like Notre Dame because you can just change field position. You can change everything with just one catch. And uh, it could be a little slant. It could be it could be a little thing out to the flats. Amari has the ability to break it on any play and take it to the house, and I think that's going to be key. So that's my X factor on offense. And then my X factor on defense is the X-man himself, Xavier Thomas. Um, I just, you know – Levon, it's money time. Xavier Thomas is going to be in the NFL. He's got the potential to be a first-round draft pick. This guy is a beast, man. He looks like he's already 30 years old physically, right? You know what I'm saying? He's got himself in shape. I think he's right where he needs to be uh, from a football standpoint. And I just think this is where you start seeing Xavier Thomas start to show why he's going to be a first-round pick, whether that's this year or next year. I just think this is a money game. And if you're a guy like Xavier Thomas, you show up in games like this and you go make plays. You go get the quarterback. You strip sack the football. You make Ian Book wish he never knew who number three was on the Clemson defense. So 
this is a money game for Xavier Thomas. And so he's my big X factor on the defensive side for Clemson. So Amari Rogers on offense, um, Xavier Thomas on defense. And it's just coincidence, my friend, that they both wear number three. It's just coincidence. Right. <laughs> I tell you what, man, it, when I thought about this question that you posed to me, I was thinking the same two guys, um, Amari, and I was also thinking the X-Man, uh, Xavier Thomas. Mm-hmm. So since you had uh, Amari, I'm going to go with. We uh, think a lot. That's good. Yeah, I, I think our tight ends can really be a big factor in this game. Yeah. Um, I think that we got two guys that can really stretch the field very well. Can maybe put, if you're going to play man-to-man, and you're going to have to use the linebackers or the safeties, they can be problems. So i like to see i like to see if we play action on those guys because they're going to be keyed up on the run. If we play action on those guys and we can use our tight ends down the middle, I see our tight ends are being the stars of the games. So on offense, that's what I see our tight ends. On defense, i got to go with Xavier too. I think Xavier has the potential to really play at that next level. I think that's been said. Now I would like to see him have a signature game where he is undoubtedly the most dominant player on the field, that he can make things happen. He can cause havoc, even if it's not getting always that sack, that he's getting that pressure on that quarterback, and he's forcing Ian Book to do something that he doesn't want to do, especially when you have uh, have Davis, Davis on the inside, you can really hem him up, as we used to say back in the day, hem somebody. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I see Xavier as being that guy, being that factor. It can cause so much havoc, so much speed, so much chaos that Ian Books is going to have a tough time. And if he does that, then I, I see us really winning this game maybe easily. You know, I, I know people don't see it that way, but. Mm-hmm. I think, like I always say, if Clemson brings their best game, Notre Dame brings their best game, we Clemson win by two touchdowns. So that that's your official word there, right? That's what you're going to say, Clemson, a couple touchdowns? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and the reason why I say that is because they should come in motivated. There's no reason why they don't come in motivated. This is a big-time game for Clemson to, um, to win because if they don't win, they're probably looking – on the outside in as far as um, as far as the playoffs are concerned. So this is a playoff game for them. It doesn't start on January 1st. It starts now because if you don't get it done now, you can forget about January 1st. So for Clemson, it's a big game that you're going to have to be super focused. And the fact that you played Notre Dame and they beat you, you should have all the motivation that you could possibly need to go out and win this game. Plus, you do have your number one trigger guy back. You have your quarterback, and I, I feel like that has to make a difference. And that Trevor is really too good to have a bad game on this one. You know, um, BA used to always say, your, your five-star guys got to play like five-star guys, especially in the big game. They always got to play like five-star guys. You got to be your, you got to get your inner Michael Jordan now. <laughs> and you got to play with your inner Michael Jordan because this is big time game and you got to show up. So yeah, if, if Clemson shows up, I, I see you winning by two touchdowns. Well, you know, our, uh, our sponsors bet online. And so the line in this game opened at 11 and a half, I believe, or 11, it's now moved to 10 and a half, which that tells me there's a lot of people taking Clemson. Um, and so I don't think me and you are the only ones that are thinking Clemson's going to win this by a couple scores. Um, so you know, when I look at this game, I'm, I'm, I see it with you, man. First of all, you know, I've told you this before. I think Trevor Lawrence is one or two touchdown difference for your team. Now, I, re- I really do. I think you're you got seven points already or 14 points already. And so if you know Notre Dame, you know that, in my opinion. And and then when you get to throw a guy like Tyler Davis in there, you know, he's going to make life harder for you. The stuff that kind of came easy to you when you were the first time you played Clemson ain't going to come as easy this time because they got a guy in there who's pretty set. Um, fundamentally sound technique wise, all the stuff you need uh, playing that position. And I think that makes a huge difference. And that's a, to me, like almost another seven points. Right. And then, right. then when you take in uh, Travis Etienne gave Notre Dame seven points, you know, he, he gave him seven points. And then, then you throw in the fact Clemson didn't give up an offensive touchdown for 59 minutes in the first meeting, 59 minutes, their defense didn't give up 
an offensive touchdown despite missing pretty much four, five, six guys on defense at one point in that game. And so I say all that to say I don't think Clemson's going to win it by 35 points. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is I do think Clemson is at least two touchdowns better. Right. I think if Clemson plays its A game, and we saw Notre Dame play their A game. They played their A game. They did not have a single turnover. Well, they did have one turnover when Ian Book dropped the ball in the end zone. Um, so that that's one reason. And then another reason is they they also had issues with um, the red zone situation, if you will. So uh, so yeah, they had some issues there. But overall, they didn't really play bad. They played, I thought, their best game they could play against Clemson. Clemson clearly played its B game. And Clemson played its B game with three, um, excuse me, with three or four guys missing and basically their JV. So when I look at this game, I just think Clemson is too good and they, um, they should win this game as long as they play their game and up to their standard. Notre Dame is not – I heard – I think it was Trevor Maddox on ESPN this week said that Notre Dame had more playmakers than Clemson, and that'll be the difference in the game. And I'm like, what recruiting site has he ever looked at or whatever? Or did he watch the last game? Because Clemson's got way more playmakers than Notre Dame all over the field. And Notre Dame wants to shorten the game. They want to make sure the game isn't, isn't about the playmakers because if it's about playmakers, Clemson's going to win this game running away. Right. And you got to also think that, we talk about some of the injuries that Clemson has, but also too, you're probably not playing three of your really dynamic wide receivers either in that Notre Dame game. So we haven't had those guys all year round. So Clemson has guys that haven't even played <laughs> that are big time play makers. So when you look at, I don't think that's, a, uh, when you look at the talent level, I'm not sure if Notre Dame is on that level with what Clemson is, but that day they play sound football. And there were some things that happened that if you take it back, I mean, Clemson probably should win that game. And I think you're right. I think Notre Dame probably played one of the better games that they played. So what I'm factoring is, is that, okay, you lost a game that you probably should have won in the first place. Now you get an opportunity to play that team again. And you got you got some guys back that are going to be a factor in the game. I think you'll be more focused on what you're doing. And I feel like your energy level is going to be high. I remember playing Florida State uh, when we lost to them in 88 on the punt rooski. And I remember how it devastated our team. That next year, you can guarantee you that we were not going to let Florida State beat us. I don't care if it was in their home or whatever. And it was evident. We went down there and we punched them in the mouth so hard and so fast and so early that they didn't really have a chance. So I see it going that same way. And it's gone. And it, it, it usually goes that way. When the team loses, they're going to come back more focused. That doesn't mean guaranteed win. But normally, they're going to play you a whole lot better than they played you the first time around. And I see that happening. And like we said before, I think Clemson at its best, Notre Dame at its best, Clemson's a two-touchdown two winner. I, I would totally agree with you. I think a lot of people listening agree with both of us on that. And um, nonetheless, it's going to be fun, man. It's going to be exciting. I can't uh, wait till Saturday gets here. Um Again, a kind of a weird kind of game to cover because of COVID, and there's only going to be, I think they said 5,000 fans in the stands, which for a championship game, only 5,000 people in the stands is kind of weird. Imagine if this game was a regular game and, you know, they were Notre Dame and Clemson were playing for a championship. That would be 75,000 people there. Charlotte would love it. The place would be one side green, one side orange. It would yes. be all – can you imagine what downtown Charlotte would be, which is a beautiful city, got a great downtown area. I mean, be crazy. it yeah. would be crazy. It'd be fun, man. It would be awesome. Um, so unfortunately we're living in a COVID world right now and you know, that's, that's not going to be the case, but um, you know, Hey, they're going to play anyway, four o'clock um, at bank of America stadium in Charlotte uh, Clemson. Uh, it'll be on the ABC it'll be the game of the weekend. So make sure 
I'm sure everybody who's listening is going to be listening, uh, watching it. So as me and you are, man, but we got to get out of here, obviously, buddy. And it's been, it's been fun. Um, you know, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens on Saturday. Uh, first of all, where are you going to watch it at? You're going to have family around with brothers. You're going to go watch it with your brothers. What are you going to do? I don't know. I'm not sure yet. I, you know, I like watching the game with my brothers, but it, it makes me when I watch a game with my brothers, I'm always kind of nervous. Yeah. But we always tend to win when I do watch it with my brothers. You need to go watch it with your brothers then, man. You didn't watch the first game with your brothers, brothers, did you? Yeah. yeah. So I, I get one of them and we'll, we'll watch the game. Man. You be better fun. do it now. It, yeah. if, if Clemson loses, I'm going to send you a text that you didn't watch the game with your brother, did you? <laughs> yeah, I know that because, you know, I have a tendency to just kind of watch it myself. So, I, I, you know, if my brother is, if he's not working, then we'll watch it. All right, cool. Well, let's do that, man. I'm, I'm going to let you get out of here, buddy. Uh, uh, thanks thanks again, man. It was fun. Uh, for LeVon Kirkland, I'm Will Vandervoort. You've been listening to Inside Clemson Football with LeVon Kirkland. We'll, we'll see you next week as we break down what happened in this game and look, hopefully look forward to the college football play. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.